healthy lifestyle is brought to you by SeptaGuard. SeptaGuard, your family's all-natural defense against infections. And that is a sign and it marks the beginning of our health and wellness feature for today. We do it every single Thursday just after 2.30. And today we're looking at drownings, uh, particularly near drownings, survival rates and how victims of near drownings are assisted um, to really attain a full uh, um, abled life, a proper quality of life um, after near drownings. I remember, in fact, this conversation came up because I was in conversation with one of my producers, Mahomu, who went to a facility um, during the, the, the festive season holiday, the, the festive season, and she observed how two survivors, uh, two little children who uh, were saved from drowning, had to be rehabilitated. And the changes, of course, to their lives uh, uh, after the near drownings. And it didn't look good, she said, as far as uh, their progression, their upbringing is concerned. And I recounted to her a story of family friends a number of years ago. Their son um, is the same age as my son. And um, he drowned. He was being looked after by um, the domestic worker. And the the, the, the pool um, wasn't covered because the guy who cleans the pool was due to come around. And um, the domestic worker noticed once the child was in the water, had drowned, that uh, he had disappeared. She did her best. She called emergency services and they arrived. Um, And when they arrived, she thought that they would just simply take them to Olivedale. But the paramedics insisted on taking the child to um, one of the hospitals just um, in Auckland Park, just over that hill in Auckland Park. And they said it might be further but it is the best chance that this little boy has of a full recovery. Um, And he was um, then uh, put under coma by the specialist there for a couple of months. I must say it was quite a while. He was put under coma for a long period of time. And the specialists um, uh, tried to bring him out. Uh, I think on two occasions, and and they weren't happy on both occasions. On the third occasion, they successfully brought him out of a coma. But the process of rehabilitation afterwards was quite painstaking. Um, The exercises to uh, revive his muscles uh, over the months, his parents had to learn how to literally take him from a state of infancy to the appropriate age where he was at about four years old. And now he's made a full recovery. It is miraculous to observe how this little boy has made a full recovery and is on par with his peers today. So this is what we're exploring. And we also want to experience um, on this issue. And it begs the question about our ability and our uh, our abilities and awareness of CPR. Have you been on a CPR course? Um, and how good is your knowledge? Have you ever had to lean on that knowledge in case of an emergency? It is something that can save lives and it is a life skill that I'm hoping we are still teaching to our children through uh, um, uh, basic education at some point um, in their schooling careers and even refresher courses hopefully later on. So how good are you at CPR? Can you give us... um, a guide on how to administer it. I want to challenge you this afternoon. Uh, so give us a sense of how good you are at CPR. Um, it's 011-883-0702. And if you haven't been, why haven't you been? What are the obstacles? We're joined by Dr. Miles Bartlett, who is a uh, pediatric interventionist when it comes to drownings uh, uh, of children particularly. Good afternoon, um, Dr. Bartlett. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Good afternoon, Azania. Thanks for asking me to speak to you. No, you know, I was uh, quite startled to see uh, uh, figures around drownings in the country that you would think, especially over the holiday period, that we ha- we would have the numbers pretty high around the coastal provinces. But it looks like the inland provinces reflect pretty high numbers. Does this suggest that because we are not by the sea, that we neglect education around behavior, uh, around water bodies? Yes, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, what we've tried to achieve since we started with the drowning kits was an outreach program, you know, to create, to make people aware of the layers of safety, you know. Um, in other words, your fences, your nets, your motion sensors, your interlocking doors. And, you know, the, the sad thing is despite that, um, we are still facing 35 to 40 drownings a year. Um, so it seems that the only way is that people, ha- somebody has to keep their eye on the child at all times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these involve children, a, a, bigger, a, a big proportion of these numbers involve children. Yeah, if you look at our percentages, the vast majority are toddlers. You know, they sort of range from nine months in walking rings to about three, three and a half, mm-hmm. um, which is the prime agent. And it's usually pools and ponds. So it's usually still water, whereas the bigger kids tend to drown in rivers and the sea and that type of thing. Yes. Um, and buckets in small kids when, you know, they're inquisitive, they peer in, they fall in, they can't get out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is to create awareness of, of the danger of water. Um, a trend that we picked up, and I don't know if it is a trend, was at, towards the end of last year, we had a lot of children drowning on school outings. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, it's, it's sort of troubling in that who takes responsibility because the parents sign consent for the child to go on an outing and then there's a slip and the child drowns. Yes. But we, we always sign those uh, forms. The children will bring the forms to say that there is a school outing um, and it sort of exempt, exempts the school from any prosecution because, yes, the child is in their care and so on, uh, but that you are aware of the risks that might take place. Yeah, and the strange thing is these are the bigger kids, you know, the six to eight to nine-year-old kids where this happens. Mm. I remember reading an account from a paramedics, uh, a, a paramedic rather, saying that they have attended to a child who had fallen into a large plastic bucket that was being used to clean nappies. Um, so it's not just about the pools and the ponds, as you say. So we need to stress that quite often. Yes, yes. And then, you know, obviously it's a really traumatic experience. So... Mm then people need to know what they do in the event that their child does drown. And you mentioned the CPR. And we've noticed that after the first sort of outreach programs, people started taking CPR classes and they did CPR. And we were getting much better outcomes in those kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And there seems to have been a slide again um, where people, you know, are not aware. And sometimes I feel... Even bad CPR is better than no CPR. Ah, so there is a relationship between uh, these CPR courses and uh, our ability to save lives and prevent drownings. Yeah, absolutely. I'm convinced because we had a dramatic improvement um, after there was this awareness and people did CPR classes. And most of the children that came in had had CPR done by the bystander Mm -hmm. until the advanced life support people arrived. 
So there's, there's a chain of survival, you know, from the scene through to the emergency room to the ICU. Mm-hmm. As I visualize that when you say a chain of survival. But it's also important to stress that even if an amateur is administering it, as you said, um, it, it, it could make an impact. So we shouldn't be too, uh, um, too worried that we're not experts. No, no. But I, th- I think it's a good idea to take a course and to be able to, whoever is minding the children yeah. should be able to do CPR, should also be aware of the numbers of emergency services. Um, a, a problem we often have is parents tend to panic and then they take the child, throw it in the back of the car and head off to the nearest hospital, which means if there isn't slow blood flow or oxygen going through that brain, if it's a 10, 15 minute trip, mm-hmm. it makes the situation much worse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often better to do CPR at the, you know, immediately. Um, the, the argument a lot of parents do give, and I suppose that is a reality, they say sometimes advanced life support people take too long to come. Mm, yes, so, so they're up to uh, taking the, the, the child to the hospital themselves. But what is the window of opportunity that we have in order to prevent permanent brain damage? As you said, drowning causes uh, a starvation of oxygen to the brain. Yeah, because you have a cessation of blood flow, you know, and a cessation of oxygen supply. And if we look at our statistics, most of the children that have drowned for less than five minutes, um, they do reasonably well or fairly well. Mm. Um, once you get into that five, ten minutes range, the outcomes become worse. Um, so in other words, um, if there is no CPR, you know, and the child's had an arrest, and they then have to trek to the hospital, you know, then it, it could be then profound because, um, you know, the brain is starved of oxygen for more than five minutes. And that seems to be the period where you're going to get severe damage. Yes. Well, before we get to what sort of treatments are available, what are some of the consequences or um, the quality of life, aspects around the quality of life of someone who, who does drown and it goes past that five-minute mark? Yeah, as Anya mentioned, um, I really do believe um, the brain can change, and I really do believe in rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the problem is when it's a, we categorize them into severe drownings where there's a risk of brain injury of over 90%. Um, and that's where the problem lies, because with those children, at best you can give them 50-50, but it's, the parents are not going to get back the child they had. But... Um, with therapy, I've seen amazing things. In fact, I saw a little boy um, a little while ago. He's now 14. He drowned about six, six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And he can't speak. But, um, and if you look at him, he looks like a cerebral palsy and people feel sorry for him. But he's just completed his standard seven uh, um, with a laptop and an iPad. And he's got an amazing attitude. Mm-hmm. And he signs to people that they're stupid when he sees that they're pitying him. Mm. And I just find it's amazing. So one can say, well, that child's not the child they had before. Um, but, you know, with therapy, you can achieve something. Absolutely. But in that category, it's really bad. When we have brain injury risks of under 90% and between 30 and 90, whereas previously you couldn't predict whether they were good or bad, 
we now can guarantee parents the child is going to be normal. Mm. Well, I want to also know why it's important to arrest the functioning of the brain through um, an induced coma, but we'll do that after the break. My guest is Dr. Miles Bartlett, pediatric interventionist. Uh, this is the health and wellness feature that we do on Thursdays, and I am taking your calls as well on the matter um, uh, because we're getting SMSs as well about the importance of first aid, the importance of CPR in saving lives. So it's 011 8830702. We're talking about drowning, preventing it, um, and of course, the recovery process with near drownings, particularly in children. What's been your experience on 011 8830702? Azania Musaka on 702. Well, we're back with Dr. Miles Bartlett, a pediatric interventionist who is an expert when it comes to uh, drownings and the rehabilitation of particularly children who have experienced near drowning. So we're taking your calls and comments. It's 011-8830702-31702 for SMSs. Now, um, Dr. Bartlett, why is it important after drowning and what happens in the brain um, when you, when, uh, you decide to put the victim um, under coma? Well, Azania, really, um, we have a whole um, barrage of brain protection strategies that we do. So the initial ones are really what the emergency services do and the, in the um, in, you know, is really to maintain oxygen, blood pressure, all the normal things. Mm-hmm. And then we want to, you know, you, you will have brain cells that will be damaged that won't recover. You always also have a, a phenomenon called apoptosis, which is programmed cell death. In other words, a brain cell is injured, and there's a signal that it will sub, you know, destruct within 12 or 24 hours. Yes. So with part of the therapies we do, and they call it targeted temperature management, um, we cool the brain because that stops the apoptosis. So with the cooling, it depends what you're targeting, and it targets two areas. It's targets the ongoing program cell death because when cells are injured, they also produce inflammatory substances, um, neurotransmitters, you know, that aggravate the injury. Mm. So the cooling um, suppresses that. And then in our unit, we, at, the, at the same time, we would measure intracranial, you know, the pressures in the brain and manage that. So there's a whole number of tiers of therapy that we do. And it's often the timelines that people argue about um, and we know that with a brain injury, um, it seems to be that um, the first 72 hours are, you know, from, from the program cell death is where you want to cover that. But then one also has a problem that from day three to day five, um, the uh, sort of child can become unstable from a neurological point of view. Mm-hmm. So it's well known that when we get deaths from drowning, because it's not just the brain, it's the heart and the lungs are involved. Yes. That in the first three days, they normally cardiac deaths because the heart's been stunned and you struggle. And then the, the brain deaths seem to happen between the third and the tenth day. Mm. So that's why you'll find there are different periods that we keep them in a coma for. Um, mm. If the children are stable, you know, from about the third day onwards, then obviously we withdraw. If they're unstable, then we'll hold until such time as they are stable. Because the last thing we want as a child with a brain injury is we do not want seizures. We do not want temperatures. So we try and avoid all of those. And you're able to see the brain uh, uh, heal itself and certain functioning in the brain uh, return to normal. 
Yes. Um, so we measure the brain pressures. We may measure brain oxygen, the blood flow in the brain. And then at the same time, we also measure the electrical activity, the EEG. So there's a whole lot of things we can look at to show us that the kid's improving. Yes. Um, and oftentimes, we won't be able to give the parents a guarantee until we wake the child up. And that's where sometimes the disappointment comes in because, um, you know, the child may not be normal. Um, but it's still not um, cause for concern because a lot of these children in rehab do amazingly. Mm-hmm. So some even come out where they're normally functioning. But it does take a lot of physical therapy. Yes, yes. As I saw, I remember the exercises that had to be done uh, to rehabilitate his muscles, this little boy that I mentioned earlier, Mm. and attending speech therapy. It literally was like starting from scratch and bringing him from an infant-like state to catching up to the age that he was. Let's go to Natalie in Johannesburg. Natalie, your question. Good afternoon. Hi there, um, thanks. I just wanted to find out, I've heard that there are two very specific hospitals, um, one in Johannesburg, one in Pretoria, that especially deal with drowning. Which are they? Because I'm not familiar with their names. Dr. Bartlett? Oh, there, let's, oh, there we go. Can we, can we take that again, please? Um, as I say, we run a pediatric intensive care unit at Garden City, mm-hmm. and we've been okay. doing drowning since 2006. Um, so we, we, you know, we're intensive care run, run on international guidelines. So, you know, everyone that works here must be pediatric as you train. So in this unit, okay. everyone must. Okay. And then Pretoria? I'm not sure about Pretoria. I see. Maybe okay, someone so has... For Johannesburg, it's Garden City. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. So uh, we started our program in 2006. We saw how bad the outcomes were, and we started changing um, the way we treat them. And, and we've been improving as the years go on. Yes. So we've done something like over 300 drownings, which is not something to be proud of since 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, just a quick one from Lindo in Centurion. And uh, Lindo says, I've been on a first aid course, but because uh, it's a once-off thing, I think one tends to forget. And because of the law around administering CPR where the person then dies, one tends to also be nervous or reluctant to give that kind of assistance. Uh, is the person liable if uh, there's <laughs> a fatality? Um <laughs> You know, it, it, it's really the American system. Mm. Um, you know, I still feel that the only chance that person has is if you, you know, if they if they're pulseless and they're not breathing, the only chance they have of surviving is to do CPR. And as, as I said, my take is that even bad CPR is better than no CPR. As you said, absolutely. Because I, and I've seen the differences in this unit. Mm. In mm. fact, I had an anesthetist colleague. Her child was a severe drowning. She did CPR. Um, brought the child in and we thought, oh, we're going to have to do all these um, invasive things to protect the brain. Um, by that evening, the child was fully awake and could go home. Wow. That and that's incredible. our thing. But you could say she was a niece, she's a doctor. Yes. She obviously does a lot of it. So her CPR is very effective. Yes. Well, I want to thank you for your time this afternoon, Dr. Bartlett. Thank you very much. And hopefully uh, more of us will go for refreshers and certainly take up CPR classes. Yeah, I think that's important, Zania, just to know um, basic CPR and that people also know what to do in that situation. You know, emergency service numbers, um, you know, the, the preventive stuff, the layers of safety, and then the chain of survival from the 
yes. incident right through to the intensive care unit. Thank you very much. That is Dr. Miles Bartlett, pediatric interventionist at Garden City. Mayday, Mayday. A war's been waged against us. The immune system's a threat. We're getting too weak to fight the infection. Do not surrender. Do not drop your armor. The infection's spreading, sir. Fear not, soldiers. There's a brave hero knocking at our door, and he will bring reinforcement. Captain, look. What is that coming up north? Is it an army? No, it's Septoguard. Now, let us go triumphant! When your body's under attack from infections, leave the fighting to SeptoGuard, the all-natural defense against infections and flu for the whole family.